as we venture into the murky waters of everything you've been told never to bring up at holiday dinner. You'll need a guide, someone you can trust, a battle-tested, common-sense leader who knows that an extra pair of dry socks just might save your life. That wise old sage has arrived, and he is shouting the Schmidt Show battle cry. Schmidt heads unite! <laughs> good morning, good afternoon. I feel like we should do the intro and say Schmidt heads unite at the time that that happens. You oh, know? we kind of should, huh? Yeah. Anyway. Just be a, a really like yeah. powerful way to like, start the show. Yeah, like, we, should I play it again? No, no, no I'm right. sorry. Okay. So it's, uh, yeah, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Time appropriate greetings, depending on where in the world or country uh, you're listening to the Schmidt Show. So we have listeners I've found all over the world. Um, we have some in uh, in uh, South Africa, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's 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 spelled Jean. I think it might be pronounced Jean. I don't know if it's like a French pronunciation or something like that. But mm-hmm. uh, he's over in South Africa. Uh, some in London. That was kind of cool. I noticed we had some downloads from London. Either that or somebody's listening on a VPN and pretending to be from London. Yeah, that's which the thing, is possible. Huh? Yeah, so, yeah, for sure. But yeah, it's cool. It's it's uh, we're not a big show. You know, we don't have the the audience of of uh, of a Joe Rogan or something like that. But it's cool to know that there are people listening from across the country and across the world. And um, I believe uh, Deluca is listening out there. And is he in West Virginia or West Virginia? Virginia. He's yep. in West Virginia. He's so he's in the Sixto country. Mm-hmm. Okay, so. <laughs> he doesn't like it when I make fun of his backwoods country origin. <laughs> but yeah, we got folks listening from all over the country. Today we're going to talk about um, what could possibly be the next uh, the next slavery issue in the U.S. the the next civil war causing um, political issue. And so, Noah, I'll start with this. I, I of course in the debates last week with the with the presidential Democratic presidential candidates. Mm-hmm. They've all been trying to out liberal each other, um, and and out radical each other as as fast as they can, and it's been somewhat comical to watch, actually. To be honest, in fact, Beto O'Rourke, of course, in his infamous statement, now uh, said, "Hell yes, we're going to take your AR-15s." Um, and yeah. uh, and somebody, I, did you see on Twitter? I can't remember who it was, but somebody on Twitter said it. Hey, uh, said hello, representative. Um, uh, my AR-15 is ready for you or something like that. And he re- he responded with, hey, that's a death threat. You shouldn't own an AR-15 and neither should anybody well, else. Well, he, he, he made a theft threat, did he not? Right, yeah. It's, so anyway, it's just been, it's been fun to see the... And of course, meme after meme after meme has popped up over, over Beto O'Rourke. I've seen somebody uh, recreate the tweet thread with King George and George Washington where King George said, heck yes, we're going to take your muskets. Yeah. And George Washington says, my musket's ready for you right you know so yeah it's uh it's pretty interesting to see uh the memes popping up around this so the but the question i want to ask no and i'm, mm-hmm. I'm gonna start with asking you this because i i know where i stand and i, I kind of want to get your thoughts on somewhat of a i mean we mentioned it before we came on and started recording but i wanted mm-hmm. to kind of get your gut reaction is the second amendment and the 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 importance of protecting the second amendment is this going to be the next civil war issue no if it gets that uh, well far. yeah if it gets that far yes but no politics so beto roke is not going to be president no okay of he's not no he's not no going to get elected no um there are more gun owners in america than probably the rest of the world private gun ownership combined there is and i've actually seen the numbers on it there's there is somewhere around between depending on in which statistics you look at somewhere between 300 million and 500 million 
privately held firearms in the United States, which is without question more than every other country in the entire world combined. Right. So it's one of those things where I feel like to a certain extent, um, if it ever got that far, yes, I believe that would be the end of the I think that would absolutely be cause for another civil war. I just the problem that I hear with civil war is that it the civil war was one of the most darkest, terrible times of our entire country's history. Mm -hmm. Right. And I wouldn't wish that on anybody. Right. So I'd do everything in my power to include giving up some of my guns just to avoid a to civil prevent war. it. Yeah. That said, if he actually came for my Air 15, that would be one of the ones I'm not willing to part with. Right. Uh, so, no, I, I, I think it would be cause for civil war. I just don't ever think it's going to get that far. What do you think is going to stop it from getting there? I think that most Americans actually agree with gun ownership. And I think that most I think Air 15s are getting more popular, not less. I think yeah. back in the 90s when Clinton banned them, I think that there was this idea of like, well, we can get by without them. And that's all right. And then yeah. people tried to replace the Air 15 with a bunch of other things. And what they found was, well, they went and bought a Ruger Mini 14. Right. And they were able to put the same accessories on a Ruger Mini 14 and everything kind of worked. And then the gun, uh, if you look like the Ruger 22 and the Ruger Mini 14 in the 90s, that's when all those aftermarket accessories started popping yeah. up. And so then I think the assault weapon ban sunsetted and I think people looked over and went, huh, it's kind of the same thing. It's just a different color. And right. actually, it's a way more efficient platform to, to put accessories on. Yeah. And, and now we're back to where we started. But I think the important part of, a, of, of any future gun ban, I think the assault weapon ban went into place in the first place, largely because there was a sunset. Right. And I think people are OK with I'm OK with trying something. If they said tomorrow, hey, we want to institute a universal background checks. We're going to try it for five years and then there's a sunset and we'll reconvene and decide where to go from there. Right. I'd support that. Yeah. But the problem is they don't put sunset anymore. Now we put something in. It's it's a restriction on rights forever. forever. Right. I, my my thought process with the the Second Amendment, I think it will be if if there is, like you say, if we get to a point where where we do have states that are seceding from the union and and the federal government tries to forcibly um, prevent them from doing so, I think it will be over the Second Amendment. I, th I think I'm with you. Um, I, I, I think we're quite a ways away from that. I think there's some doomsday uh, conservatives and, and maybe people that are, are uh, maybe on the fringe right that that are saying, you know, we're we're, you know, steps away, you know, like it could happen tomorrow kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we're there yet. I don't, I don't think we're quite as close as some would have us believe we are. Uh, but when it comes to civil war and, and things like that, people say, well, the, the federal government, uh, you know, they've got nuclear weapons and fighter jets and, and all these sorts of things. And we'd never be able to fight back with our AR-15s and our um, and our, our, you know, Glock handguns and things like that. But the reality is those, those fighter jets and bombers and, and things like that only go so far, um, unless you're willing to completely and utterly destroy every bit of infrastructure that exists. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, unless the federal government is willing to start carpet bombing American cities, willy-nilly just to make sure we get all the evil gun owners those fighter jets are are useless the bombers are useless right and they will eventually have to get to a point where they're going door to door house to house as as the military you mm -hmm. know and you know foot soldiers on the ground boots in you know in people's houses kind of thing um in order to actually win that war. I mean, you look at what's happened in Afghanistan, you look at what's happened in Iraq, you look at what happened even going back as far as as 
Vietnam and Korea and World War II, in the end, there were some dudes that had to get on the ground and go door to door, house to house, and and win the battle. And and that's where the federal government and the federal military, if it did get that far, would bog down. Because, like I said, there's there's three somewhere between three hundred and five hundred million legally owned firearms in the United States, mm-hmm. and then what other civil rights is the federal government willing to violate in order to, um, in order to enforce a a quote unquote repealing of the Second Amendment? Even if I mean, first of all, it's never going to get through the constitutional process of repealing the Second Amendment. Mm-hmm. But if they tried through some sort of legislative action to do that, what what other human rights, what other civil rights, what other political rights is the federal government willing to to violate in order to enforce such a ban? And I just don't think there's enough stomach by anybody. Mm-hmm. On either side of the aisle, right, left, center, or anywhere, well, to actually to actually take that that task on, like it's just not it's just not real realistic. I th- here's here's I think part of the here's I think part of the problem as it relates to uh, to to both sides wanting to take a particular task on. Right, one of the things that the left is really really good at is connecting with people, and one of the things that the right is notoriously terrible at is connecting with people. Mm. Now it works for the right for the most part because people on the right. Tend to not care. I don't care if Donald Trump connects with me or not. I want right. him to just leave me alone. Yeah. And the more he can get the federal government off my back, and the more the I better. can be left alone, the better. I, the better yeah. it. But because I want to connect with my friends and my family. That's exactly right. Yeah. But not everybody is like that. Some people want to be able to connect with the representatives in their government. Right. Yeah. You and I both work with an individual over at a talk radio station that is very interested in establishing connections and maintaining connections, even though he advocates for small government, he he wants to have that connection yeah. with all of those small government people, right? right? And the thing that the the thing that 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 the, the right is so traditionally terrible at is is actually making that connection. With other people. And so what ends up happening is – did you see the Democratic debates? You watched them? I, I didn't. I watched some of the analysis and clips and things like that. I just couldn't – I couldn't put myself through that sort of torture. So Bernie Sanders is taking a very interesting approach. He's going to all of these debates uh, or or uh, or campaign tours, whatever you want to right. call them, and he's turning them into town halls. But instead of he, people asking him questions – He's asking them. Well, he's letting them vent about healthcare. Oh, and so he's saying, "Tell me your healthcare stories. I want to hear from you. Tell me what your healthcare stories are." And there are some powerful stories. Yeah. A guy with, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma. Non Hodgkin's lymphoma. Yeah, has 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 he's incurring a hundred thousand dollars of medical debt every six months, and he has no way to pay it off, and he has no help, and the government can't help him, and his family can't help him, and he doesn't have it, and so eventually he's just going to he is afraid that he's eventually just going to die because he's going to run out of places or or things to be able to get health care. See, and that that is a truly tragic story. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of them. That's what I'm saying. Like every town hall he goes to, there's thousands of people across America that have stories like that. The problem with that though is I know a guy who had. The same thing, mm-hmm. one of one of the versions of sure. lim, of lymphoma or whatever, uh, and and he went through the treatment. His insurance covered it, and mm-hmm. he's now healthy and has been healthy for ten years. And sure, no problems, but, no debt, nothing. But but and can, so the, but what kind of health insurance did he have? Well, what was his job yeah, situation? What I was his income? Right, and I don't know. But that the problem with those sorts of discussions that for every tragic story like that that's out there, there's another story that has a, a good ending and a good result. Oh, sure. And so those sort of those sort of of um, 
anecdotal type of stories mm-hmm. while they make great press and they make great stories and they make for good campaign fodder mm-hmm. they're terrible for deciding policy i agree we shouldn't decide policy on them but they are a, and it's not the policy that i think is that that he's doing a good job it's right. the connecting with people oh, that i yeah. think he's doing a good job because bernie sanders whether i agree with his policy or not he cares oh yeah he cares about each and each one of those people and so to every other politician and to everybody on the right they're just the outlying story and don't screw up our perfect healthcare system in the US it may not be perfect but it is better than anything else anywhere in the rest of the right. world and that's true and as a policy decision i think that's the absolute right way to go which is why i will continue to vote for people on the right in the 2020 election right. but when you have one news anchor after another and one story after another and one person after another, who do you think those people are going to vote for? Do you think they're going to vote for the people that says, hey, listen, you're the outlying exception. Most other people are fine. Or do you think they're going to vote for the people that says, right. listen, any one person that falls through the cracks, we got to find a way to do something. Yeah. You know, so even if the policy isn't right. The people, us on the right can learn to connect with other people. And if we did that, I think we could solve the gun problem in a different way. Right. right? The problem with mass shootings, which is, let's face it, that's really what we're talking about. Because if you're talking about the people who want to ban guns, that's why they want them banned. At least that's why they say they want them banned. If we're talking about mass shootings or we're talking about violence, the problem is not a gun problem. It's not even a mental health problem per se. All of those things are symptoms. It's a heart condition. It's a heart condition. It is is an inability to connect with other people people right. on a, on an emotional level where you feel understood and and, be, and and people don't take time out of their day. One of the dumbest things I ever saw. Do you remember this uh, safety pin crap thing that went oh, on? Oh, yeah, yep. Okay. Dumbest movement ever, right? Yeah. You're going to put a safety pin on. Okay. But there is something to be said about if you – if I remember I sat next to a guy in the plane and I thought it was a – I thought it was a dumb movement at the start. I thought it was a dumb movement while it was going on and I think – I still look back and I think it's a dumb movement. But I was sitting on a plane. And I remember I was having a really terrible day. It was just a rotten day. They lost my luggage. Just everything that could have gone wrong in travel, I got wrong. And I sit down and I was, you know that you sit down, you're like, please don't sit me next to a fat person. Please don't let me sit next to a stinky person. Please don't let me sit next to a mean person. Right. Right. Those are the three things you want when you're sitting in the airline. Where do I get seated? Right in the middle. Right in the middle. So I'm like, now... Please don't let me get seated to two fat people. Please don't let me get seated to two stinky people. Please don't let me get seated to two mean people or any combination of the three. Right. right. Yeah. It's like, ter- like we're really, yeah. who's the first person to sit down is a dude with a stupid safety pin on. And he sits down and puts up, he has bright smile. He's like, Hey man, how's it going? I'm like, man, this is the one time my whole life where like, I actually feel like I want to talk to this guy and, right. and tell him like, I am having a really crappy day right. and I'm stuck in this middle seat right now. And I'm really hoping that a fat or stinky person doesn't sit, you know, sit over next to me. Yeah. And I'm really thankful that you yeah. seem to be a nice guy, even if your ideology is whacked. Right. And I'm glad that we can talk that kind of connection. And that kind of ability is it, it brought me from, I'm just looking for a reason to punch somebody right. down to Hey, this is going to be all right. Like right. we can have a conversation. Why? Because I made a connection, even though it was a stupid connection and a movement that I thought was silly, still think was silly. It, 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 it's that small little thing of saying, Hey, I'm a person that is willing to go to take five minutes out of my day. If yeah. I can do something to help you and you're that kind of person. And I'm that kind of person. Right. And that guy with the stupid safety pin on the shirt was that kind of person. But so that we, those people exist on the right, but I, 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 but we don't, we don't do a good enough job of getting out there and saying, hey, let's connect with people and vote for us because we care about you. Yeah. And because we care about you, we understand that there is policy that work and there are policy that doesn't work. And at the end of the day, yes, there are going to be a few outlying cases, but the vast majority of you are going to be better. 
and connect with those people, we'd have more votes. We'd win every election for the next hundred years. I would let me let me try to turn this around a little bit. Let mm-hmm. me let me put this in a little put on my skeptics hat a little bit. Mm-hmm. Does Bernie Sanders actually care? I think so. Or does he pretend to care? Because no. I would I would suggest that the guy is more sinister than than we're willing to admit. I, I would and, agree with you, but people that pretend to care don't ride the subway on a on a public uh, ticket but, that have millions of dollars, right? The reason, though, that I would suggest that he is more sinister than we're willing to admit, and I think it's giving the the radical left a pass to mm-hmm. suggest that they care. Bernie Sanders is actually called for population control. Mm-hmm. Bernie Sanders has called for um, American funding of abortions and birth control in in foreign countries, in poorer mm-hmm. countries. Mm-hmm. When you start to dig into the history of people like Margaret Sanger and Karl Marx mm-hmm. and Joseph Stalin and, and the Maoists and so many of these others that have in the past um, advocated for population control. They're essentially, they, they say it's, oh, because we're going to run out of room on planet Earth, which is ridiculous because right. most studies uh, believe that the Earth could probably support somewhere around 150 billion people, um, upwards of 500 billion people. And I saw one study that even suggested that planet Earth could even support as many as a trillion people. Here's the thing, um, that even if it couldn't, that's not our place as humans to decide. Right. And so the sinister nature of the radical left mm-hmm. in, in and and the radical left unfortunately has taken over the Democrat Party. Yes. And and the 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 sinister nature of calling for essentially genocide to in an in an effort to maintain, you know, some sort of green new deal or something like that. I don't think Bernie Sanders is quite as is caring and kind and compassionate as what we would have we would believe and I think the danger in that is is giving um the radical left a pass and and not only with population control but with gun control as well the the federal government if they decide whether it's Bernie Sanders or Beto O'Rourke or Kamala Harris or Amy Klobuchar or anybody else if they decide we're going to take the second amendment and 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 eliminate it whether mm-hmm. it's through legislative process or through uh you know, amending the constitution or repealing the second amendment and whatever. Um, the only result in that, the only possible outcome is men with guns showing up at my house. Right. And forcibly taking my property. Right. And if I refuse prison or death, right. That's not compassionate. Right. That's no, that's, that's, that is, that is evil and sinister. mm -hmm. And, and I think the danger that we have, the danger in, in giving the left a pass and saying, "Well, but they're compassionate; they care." Mm-hmm. I don't think they do. I think they're tyr- they're they're tyranny or tyrannical. I think they're tyrants, and I think they want control. I don't think it has anything to do with compassion. I th- I agree with you <laughs> as it relates to the traditional social left, and I I would say the vast majority of people in that party are that way. Uh, the Clintons, for example, they don't do a darn thing out of compassion. It's one hundred percent about power control, and control and power, right? Yep. So I agree with you. It, socialism is for the people, not the socialist, right? I I hundred percent agree with you. I just think Bernie Sanders is the exception. I think he that, he might be. I, I think that Bernie Sanders is one of those people that I think. And he if came, that's true, that's even worse because he's just ignorant. he's stupid, right? right. Exactly. I, I think he came from nothing. I think he's lived his whole life as a bum. I think he has probably experienced a lot of hardship from being a bum. And I mean the 
the man was not employed, did not have a job until he was 41 years old. Right. My dad would have shot me oh, if yeah. I was 41 years old and didn't have a job, you yeah. know? And and then when he did get a job, it was a public office job that he ran for twice and lost the first time, you know? So the guy is a total and complete and utter loser. He's just right. a bum. That's what he is. But he he is a bum that I think has had this, a similar experience to other bums and other people that are just down on their luck. And I think he can relate to those people. And I think that he can talk to those people. And I think that when you start presenting a worldview of, hey, if you don't want to work, if you don't want to do anything, that's perfectly OK, man. Yeah. Sit around, smoke pot, play a guitar, hang out, enjoy nature and uh, the government will take care of you. And uh, I'm here to help. I, yeah. I, I think he genuinely does that out of compassion. I just think it's stupid compassion. Yeah. Um, but I do think he relates well to other people. And I think that's the real thing that we have to solve. I think it relates to the gun issue. I think it relates to the healthcare issue. I think we have to learn how to connect with voters, connect with people. And we've got to do better than just we're going to do we're going to roll back some things to try to leave you alone right. a little bit. I think we've got to acknowledge if we want to if we want to if we want to repeal Obamacare, we better replace it with something. Right. right? And it, if our health care system isn't perfect and we all acknowledge that both on the right and the left and we on the right say, OK, socialized health care, Medicare for all is not the way to fix this problem. Then what is right? Oh. Because I haven't heard. And, and now here's the thing. When I hear the left say that, here's the here's the way that they present it. Right. Well, if you want to repeal and replace it, then replace it with something better. No, it's not my job to come up with a better version of your crappy idea. Right. Okay. It, there is there is nothing wrong with saying, "Hey, we're going to table this until something until technology advances, science advances, until something changes to the point that we can make it better." Until then, we're not just going to take an action just to say we're taking an action. That's stupid and foolish, and one of the five hazardous behaviors. Right. Right. But. At the same time, we're not doing anything to try to uh, – so for example, Donald Trump, he came out and he said, let's go ahead and uh, put price, pricing on all healthcare products. So they would have to publish their price. The drug companies fought them. Yep. So speaking of that, the, I'm actually – and this is what I was just searching for here. I was, I was looking through my notes. Mm -hmm. um, I'm working on getting an interview with a guy by the name of Marty McCary, Dr. Marty McCary. He is okay. a, he's, a, he's a surgeon – at Johns Hopkins University Hospital. And he is, um, he wrote a book called The Price We Pay. And he said the number one issue, because you and I have talked about healthcare, I've talked about healthcare at length on my terrestrial radio show, um, about the, the number one issue of healthcare being insurance issues. And what I've said is they need to loosen up the restrictions on insurance companies like they did with auto insurance back in the, in the late 80s, early 90s. And he said the number one issue that, that is, is mucking up healthcare in the United States is um, price transparency. Mm -hmm. And he said, think about it. He says, if you go to the grocery store and you take a bunch of products off the shelf and you see the price tags or whatever, if you went up to the, to the counter and, and said, I need all these groceries, and the, and, the, and the grocery store said, well, we don't know how much it's going to be. We'll send you a bill. Exactly. We would never. No. We, there's no way in, on earth we'd ever allow that. But you if know what? But you know what? If that if we got used to that, if if because it don't let's face it, it only takes a generation right. to change something. So if that, that happened in grocery stores, my kids would never know any difference. So right. they would accept it. If that did happen, 
milk's going to be $65 yep. a gallon. Exactly. And, or or and he, the other example he uses an airplane. He said, if we wanted to go somewhere, fly somewhere, mm-hmm. and we said, we'll just get on the plane, we'll, sit, we'll tell you how That's much right. it's going to cost when you get there. And the There's, flight attendant doesn't know, and the pilot doesn't know, and the gate engine doesn't know. Everyone you ask, they're like that. Billing handles that. Billing yeah. handles that. You call billing. Hey, you'd have to get the procedure first before we... I mean, there's a lot. It's way too nuanced. We'd never be able to know. Yeah, there's no way we'd ever right. go for any of that. And so um, he actually talks about one of the one of the most important thing would be upfront pricing and and what he I think the the terminology that he used was price transparency was what. But sure. I'm working on getting him on in his interview. I reached out to his assistant and she was super nice actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um. Well, anyway, yeah. it's it's so, one of those things that we're like. So every time we try to do something, right? It, it gets hampered either by industry or by uh, or by the the people that are going right. to be negatively impacted because nobody wants their program cut, right? Right. Yeah. And so it just leads to ever growing expenditures and ever growing expenses. Right. But th- we we are not pushing hard enough, right? Don, I, 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 if there's anything I could criticize the president for, and it's really hard to criticize him because he tries, he gets shot down by right. everybody in Congress, yep. and he has no power on his own, so he respects the Constitution yep. and backs off, which is what he should do. But if there's anything I could criticize the administration as a whole for, it's we're not making progress. We should have smashed right. the Democrat agenda week one he was yep. in office. We had the House, we had the Senate, and we had the presidency, and we did nothing. Nothing. And it's, nothing. And it's, not, and it's the because the like you say. The, there's a few in Congress that want to do the right thing, but mm-hmm. they get pushed back from from everybody else and their mm-hmm. fundraisers and the people that raise money for them and all those sorts of things. But so anyway, we've we've gotten somewhat off subject here. The original discussion was: Is the Second Amendment going to be the issue that leads us into civil war? Sure. And if so, how long will that be? So that was kind of, kind of my next question: mm-hmm. Is do you think you said we don't you don't think we're there yet? I agreed. I don't think we're there yet either. Um, do you think that there will get to a time when when we do get there? Because my the you know the generation my parents grew up with guns were just a way of life. You mm-hmm. just every family had a couple. You know whether it was for home defense or whether it was for hunting or whether it was for uh, you know just target shooting or whatever it was. Every family had one. It was it was just kind of that's the way it went. And more and more as the next generation comes up. We seem to be losing, um, quote unquote, the enthusiasm, if that's the right way to say it, for firearms and mm-hmm. for the importance of the Second Amendment. Um, my son and I shoot trap competitively, and and so we kind of get it. We sure we, my son gets it. My daughter, but you is, passed it on to the next right, generation. My that's daughter the important is part. in the National Guard, and she gets it. She's actually going in, the, in uh, working to become a chaplain. Mm-hmm. And one of the things she was a little disappointed with is a chaplain. She's not allowed to carry a weapon. She's like, that kind of stinks. I want to carry a gun. Mm-hmm. So, um, but do you think we're going to ever get there? Do you think that's ever going to be a time where, where we are facing that? No, issue? I don't. And here's why, because it, it, as long as people continue, we're, we are, we are growing gun owners. We are not shrinking them. Right. Mm. There, I, I have yet to meet a gun owner. I don't know anybody that owned a gun and, and, and isn't passionate about passing that hobby down to their kids. Right. Mm. Every gun owner I know, if they have kids, they are teaching their kids. And furthermore, at least as it relates to my kids, Right. They bring friends along. Hey, can so-and-so come to the range with us? Yeah, absolutely. Right. So even kids that don't have guns in their home are being introduced to the shooting sports. So, no, I think we're going to have more shooters, not less. And as we have more shooters, not less, I think there's going to be a larger 
political arm of the NRA, I think there's going to be a larger influence on Congress. And I think you're going to have more people that are representing in Congress that actually represent the people's interest. The other thing I think that ha- is changing, whether we want whether uh, for good or for bad, the Internet is a great equalizer. Yeah. And so what happens is when you have a pol- politicians used to be able to go to Fargo and say one thing, come to Grand Forks and say a different thing, go to Bismarck and say something else. And they could cater their message around everything. Now, they basically have to have a consistent message. If Beto O'Rourke goes and says, hell yeah, we're going to take your air 15s. OK, you're the anti-gun guy. Congratulations. You've just alienated yourself from 70 percent of the United States population right. because you're an anti-gun guy, both on the right and on the left. Yeah. OK, so. As as things like that, as the internet and and things come out, then they have to be held accountable for a consistent message. And the other thing that I think is going to you're going to start to see happening with this outrage culture that we live in now, if people don't live up to their promises, they're going to be raked over the coals for it. Whereas before, it was just politicians lie. You know, there's there's all these jokes, right? right? If you want, they, they you know, a politician entered a line competition and he was told, hey. Uh, we don't allow professionals. This is an amateur only competition. Right. And 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 stuff like it's the butt of jokes that politicians yeah. lie. I yeah. think that's going to you're going to start to see that changing as it becomes less possible for people. If they, they can lie. They're not right. going to get reelected because yeah. everybody's going to know about it. Yeah. Let me let me. So no, I, I don't think that's going to. And I, I would agree with you. And here's why I, I believe the I believe the rabid anti-gun left um, is actually a very, very significant minority. Um, I would say, like you said, 70%. I, w- I would guess that that's probably close. And it may mm-hmm. be even higher than that of people who, I'm just, su- I, I, who support the What I'm basing that number is 70% of United States citizens are a member of the NRA. That's, I'm going right. off of that. So. Right. But whatever the actual number is, right. I, I think there is a, a – I, th- I think there's certainly a, a, a desire to within – among the populace as a whole mm-hmm. to maintain the Second Amendment. And here's here's why I, I, I think this is true. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and give me just a second because it's going to take sure. you to get there. Um, Minnesota has been long time uh, – especially Minneapolis, the Twin Cities, Minneapolis, St. Paul area, has been referred to, at least around here, as the San Francisco of the Midwest. Mm-hmm. It's a it's kind of a bastion of liberalism in, in an otherwise very red area of the country. Most of Minnesota, when you get into northern, northwestern, up along the, the North Dakota-Canadian border, when you get over to the, the Iron Range, you get out to Duluth, uh, Great Lakes area, even southern Minneapolis, or I'm sorry, southern Minnesota and and southwest away from the cities it's mostly red it's a very red state north dakota south dakota very red you know all of the kind of surrounding area um very conservative area but the cities has oftentimes been referred to as the the uh, the san francisco of the midwest very liberal area and um i don't know it was back in i think it was 2007 um, uh, competitive trap shooting in high schools as a high school sport mm-hmm. became a thing. It started in Minnesota with 230-some students or whatever. It was a very small program. That has now spread across the country, and I believe 37 states now, I might be wrong on that number, but 30-some states now have high school trap shooting teams mm-hmm. in their schools. North, Minnesota, of course, the largest. They were the first ones. They've got like 20-some thousand students shooting. Um, and so... Including New York and California, have have high school trap shooting states. Some of the states actually down south, believe it or not, Alabama, I think, and Mississippi, and a couple others in the south, Georgia, do not have them. But I think that's because they have other programs that they that they engage in. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
that trend started in Minnesota. They were the first state to have it, and they were the first ones to get involved, and it's gone gangbusters. It's just taken off like wildfire, and Mm -hmm. it's been very successful. And the students, the high school kids, love it because they're learning, A, gun safety, first of all. Yep. And I know this because my son shoots in high school trap in in North Dakota. And (laughs) – excuse me. And – um. Their their biggest priority is safety, 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 safety. They, I mean, they gun safety is is more important than the competition. To be quite honest, in, mm-hmm. in the high school realm, and so that took off in Minnesota. It's now spread across the country and it's going like wildfire. Now, Minnesota recently, just uh, what about a year ago or six, eight months ago, something like that, passed some legislation that is taking effect. I believe not this school year, but next school year. I might be wrong on the timing of that. You'd have to go look it up to be certain. But sure, um, the they're starting a program where they're going to be teaching gun safety in schools. Okay, in the school system, they're going to be teaching kids the proper um, use and handling and care of firearms. That you know the you know the cl- the four class rules sure. never point a gun at anything you know every gun's loaded all that right mm-hmm. and so they're going to be teaching that within the school system and I would argue that when they see that this is successful and it reduces actually I believe will over time reduce gun violence because one gun the- violence or gun accidents. I don't think it's going to th- do squat for gun violence. I think it'll do both. And and what they've learned is that kids that grow up around guns mm-hmm. and understand them have a much lower tendency for using them for violent purposes. I guess I can kind of see that because you see that the actual impact, it doesn't become a video <laughs> game to you. Yeah. I, I, it's going to be minimal, though, right. would be my guess. But when other states see that, you know, whether it's accidents or both, mm-hmm. that... It will reduce accidents 100%. Yeah, absolutely. My will. kids, like, people are so... You know, I remember when I was a kid, the way... my So my parents didn't own guns, right? Right. If you had a video recorder and you had taped... Every conversation I ever had about guns with my parents, I grew up thinking that guns were just one of those things. Like if you set a gun down on a table, it might just jump up and shoot people. Right. Like my my parents, literally, I remember they, they, they told me, they said sometimes they accidentally leave bullets inside of guns when they ship them. And so that's why you always have to be careful. I've never once heard of that actually. Like, I understand why you would tell a kid that. Like right. I get it. You yeah. th- That's the way that you tell – that's the way that you, you convince them mommy and daddy aren't uh, – aren't just – you know trying to be mean for the purpose of being mean like there's actually a reason for this the problem is it sows a series of distrust then you actually get to using guns you're like wait a minute every time i've ever held a gun in a store it's cleared then handed to me and i guess the reason the store has a policy is maybe there was a time at some point that somebody got shot because a bullet accidentally got left inside of a gun but it was just a stupid thing right but what what as i started to get into the shooting hobby what i learned was that my parents misconception about guns were vast right yeah. to say the least uh, they just didn't understand it was out of ignorance and it's not that they i mean they support gun rights they support anybody that wants to own a, a gun right. to own a gun they just looked at I, it so I was they just su- didn't know i was actually surprised i saw your dad posted a uh something on facebook the other day about the importance of the second amendment yeah. and oh it he's kind a of huge surprised second, me. Yeah. yeah he's a yeah. huge second amendment supporter he yeah. just he his view is this i think people should be able to own guns i don't want to own a gun fine totally yep. cool i yep. completely respect that that's awesome um, and, and, but the, 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 the issue there is I didn't know proper gun safety growing up. Right? right. I thought that guns were just one of those things. If you touched it, it might go off. Right. Right. And so the problem with that was it led to me being very unsafe. The first couple of times I handled guns, cause I would mm. do stupid things right. like I would take them and, and I, I would want the muzzle pointed like into the dirt in case it went off. Like I would just, you know, it was yeah. very damaging to the firearm, but yeah. you know, thankfully I had a lot of good people around me that, you know, <laughs> 
yeah. <laughs> you know, aside patient, from the of a couple yeah. of jokes, we're patient yeah. to, to teach me yeah. things. And now I'm, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm fairly proficient with it, but yeah, it will absolutely lead to less accidents. Yeah. So the, I think that's, I think that's going to be the trend. And, and I think mm-hmm. Minnesota is going to lead the way on, at least I hope they will, because one of the things that, that there, there was actually a, um, they did a, I can't remember who it was. If it was like, it was one of these shows like 60 minutes or, or, uh, what was the other nightline or one of these mm-hmm. shows? I can't Dateline, remember yeah. one of these TV shows and TV news kind of magazine shows where they should, they took a toy gun, um, and put it in like a box of toys at a, not a daycare, but it was like a, a it was like a, a prepared place for children sure. because they wanted to video yep. their kids react, the kids' mm-hmm. reactions. Right. And so they had three or four kids that grew up around guns and their parents were, um, gun enthusiasts and had taught them even at young age. I think most of these kids were four five, six, seven years old, whatever it was, and had taught them the importance of gun safety and all that kind of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And so they, t- they put a toy gun in with some of these toys that the kids were allowed to play with sure. that actually looked like a real gun. Okay. Like it was, it was, it had been, of course it was, you know, plastic or whatever. And it mm-hmm. was, there was no way kids were going to get hurt, but it, it looked like a real gun. And they, so they bring in this first group of kids that had all grown up around guns. And they, I mean, the second they found that gun, mm-hmm. everybody went, don't touch it. Right. We need to get an adult. Yep. And so they did and went and got it. I mean, it was literally just moments. Mm-hmm. The kids who did not grow up around guns, the kids who didn't have sure. it, the first thing they did is play with it, looking down the barrel yeah. of it and doing all kinds of very dangerous things with this sure. gun. So then it's a novelty. Right. It's so, curiosity. <laughs> right. So then, then they took it out and they probably brought in another group of kids who had grown up around guns and another group of kids who hadn't grown up around guns. And they put them all together. Mm hmm. In the room, and and sure, sure enough, one of the kids finds the gun, mm-hmm. and it was a kid who had not played with guns or or not played. What's the word? Not, you know what? Not, played with guns. It's right. a kid that hadn't played with guns because yeah, you know what? When I go out to the range, I is, play with guns. Yeah, I don't. You guns. can say that's right. politically incorrect, but that's what it is. Right. So there's a kid who'd never grown up around him. Uh-huh. He found it, and immediately, as soon as he pulled it out of the toy box, one of the other kids who mm-hmm. did. Told him, put that down. Yeah. I mean, immediately it was with just mm-hmm. like, it was a almost a visceral reaction. Put that down. That we need to get an adult. And it was just a very interesting. I can't remember, like, say it was Nightline or 60 Minutes or sure. whatever, one of those shows. You know, so my kids are, you know, my kids obviously have grown up. My my son, I, the first video I think I have my son shooting a gun, he was like maybe two and a half or three. I mean, he's just a little guy, yeah. but he had a little 22 and he's having fun, right? The thing is, I have never, ever, 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 ever told my kids they can't take a gun out of a safe, right? Right. If they say, Dad, can we take the guns out of the safe? And, you know, it's all it can be everything from they just want to look at it to they want to they want to feel something on it to they want to see how something is set up on it. My son, right. he, there's a bipod on his little yeah, rifle. He's a that very I mechanical. Yeah. So yeah. he wanted to see, like, does the bipod fold out or in because he was researching cases. I've never once said, no, we're not doing that. If they if they say, hey, can we take the gun out of the safe? Yeah, absolutely. Now, dad will go and do that right. and I will sit there with them the entire time. Right. But, yeah, I let them experience. Yeah, you're not going to yeah, let them take it out in the backyard. <clears throat> right. And, exactly. Yeah. Now, here you go. <laughs> right. Good luck. Don't shoot your eye out. Yeah, it's not that. But. But I, I, I absolutely appease their curiosity every step along the way. Yeah. There is never a time where they feel like it's a treat for the gun to come out of the safe. It's just, hey, if I want the gun out of the safe, I'll just go ask my dad. And it'll come out, right? right? And the nice thing about that is, or at least I guess we'll find out in 10 years if I'm right about this. But the, the thing that I hope to instill is that 
there's nothing sacred. There's nothing yeah. magical. There's, there's nothing scary. Yeah, yeah, it's just it's just a tool like a hammer or yeah. a saw. And just like a hammer or a saw, you get your finger out of the way before you nail the hammer, or you hammer the nail, and you and you get your you get your hand out of the way before you run the saw yeah. to, because you don't want to get hurt. And so there are some basic cautionary steps that we take to make sure that nobody gets hurt. And past that, do whatever you want with it. Somewhat of a side note, but one thing that irritates me is these YouTube videos of people taking inexperienced uh, shooters Mm -hmm. to the range and letting them shoot all sorts of big, high caliber guns and do all kinds of stupid stuff. And you see them, you know, take a shotgun and not hold it properly and it blows it out of their hand and throw it. Mm -hmm. That absolutely just infuriates me because you're just asking to get your friend hurt or killed. Well, you're also instilling bad habits, right? Yeah. It's just that. that, So any of you out there who think that's funny, please do not think that that's funny. It is funny, but well, right. But there's one that's like, girl, she's got a desert eagle. Yes. She nails herself in the forehead. Well, but here's the danger in that, right? So, uh, and I don't know if there was more than one round in that magazine, but what happens if she panics panics and double taps that? A 50 caliber Uh, bullet through your brain is going to put a be a bad day. So I'm a firearms instructor. And one of, when, when I go out, when I take new shooters out, I have stopped. I used to just, I'd put two, three rounds in and then have them shoot. I've gone away from that and they get a single round the first couple of times. And the reason I did that is because the amount of times I would have somebody pointing a gun down range and then firing it and then immediately turning around gun in hand, barrel now pointed at my face and going, look what I just did. I hit the target. Now their fingers off the trigger. So they're following two of the, well, one of the three safety rules, but, 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 it, it it's enough that really you know and I'm like don't do that so it, it's gotten to the point now I, I, two things happen one there's only one round in there so I know it's an empty gun afterwards and second of all my hand is ready to catch the barrel so when they start flipping around I stop it and yeah. say okay that stays pointed down oh and you know what yeah. I only have to do that once once and then people learn but, you know and it's important that we find ways to 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 teach people about guns without making them look and feel stupid. Right. Because while it is funny, and I will still I will still assert that a woman hitting herself in the face with the Desert Eagle is hilarious, <laughs> uh, while that's funny, she's probably unlikely to go back and shoot large handguns right. again because now she's had a negative experience. And so it's important that you let people experience guns, new shooters experience guns, but they do it in a safe and controlled manner so that they don't wind up the butt of some joke yeah. and being shared around the internet because it turns them off to the shooting sport. My son was, I don't know, he was eight or 10 years old, maybe something like that, maybe 12 years old. I can't remember how old he was, but the first time he ever shot a 40, 44 Magnum, my dad, <laughs> had a, my dad had a Ruger super Blackhawk, And, uh, so we set him up on the bench and, you know, and I'm standing behind him making sure that it doesn't come back and, and whack him or whatever. And he pulls the trigger on that 44. And of course the muzzle flash and everything. Sure. And his hair goes poof and pops yep. up and, and it's a big, big bang yeah, when that yeah. gun goes off. And he, he, He's, you know, he's holding it and he turns, he just turns his head and he looks back at me and his eyes are as big as deer's sure. face. He goes, that was awesome. <laughs> Can we do it again? And you're like, that. I raised him right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, it was like this, the explosion of that 44 when it went off. And in fact, like I said, I was, I was kind of around him and holding sure. it as well. So it didn't come back and smack him. But yeah, that was, that was one of the funniest moments I think I've ever, I've ever had shooting guns. And now my son, my son is literally a nationally ranked uh, competitive <laughs> high school trap shooter. So. You know, what's kind of awesome about that is I've, I've watched your son shoot a Barrett 50. So I have, I've experienced oh, yeah. it. wasn't. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't quite the same wild the joy, factor, I'm sure. Yeah. But yeah, but it was the same kind of like that was fun. Yeah, we need to do that again. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, uh, we do uh, probably need to wrap things up here. Um, I, I wish Sean wanted to talk a little bit about some of the uh, the Second Amendment 
uh, stuff today. And we did get off a little bit on track or get a little bit off track with the, with the healthcare stuff. But like I said, I am working on an interview with Dr. McCary to talk about that. So that may be in a future episode because he is truly an expert. He's a surgeon, has been for years, and, and he knows the business inside and out. So we'll maybe get to that soon. Noah, thank you for making it again. Thanks for having me. We'll see you next week. It's, um, yeah, it's the Schmidt Show podcast.